This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. In this episode, we have Eddie Speed with Note School. Eddie is a real estate investor who will be teaching us about investing in notes and how it can be a more scalable way to boost your investment portfolio. If you enjoyed this episode, please share this episode with a friend to help them learn more about real estate investing. And if you're looking for a hard money loan, you can contact me directly at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. We can do a 12-month bridge loan for your fix and flip projects or a 30-year loan for your rental properties. And now, on to the show. All right, Eddie, thank you so much for being on our show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. Well, thank you, Sean. I am Eddie Speed. I'm obviously from the South. I live in Texas. I live in Dallas-Fort Worth. In 1980, I was introduced into a business of not real estate, but buying real estate notes. So for the past 40 years, I've used real estate strategies and note strategies to really be the bank versus a landlord. Sounds exciting. Can you talk about the difference between note investing and just buying real estate outright? Well, when you're buying a note, you're buying the position of the lender. So if a note was $100,000 at 6% interest, payable over 20 years, if you created a note such as that, Sean, you could sell it. You may not sell that note at 100000 right? Somebody may only pay you 80000 but you would sell that note at a discount. And then whoever bought it, let's just say I bought it, then I now step into your shoes and I have the legal right to collect the payments. Of course, if something bad happens and they can't pay, then I have the property as collateral. But I'm just stepping into the position of the lender when I buy somebody's note. Why would someone want to buy or sell notes? I don't make a good landlord. I mean, I've owned rental property. I may have owned what a lot of people would consider a fair amount of rental property. But I can tell you this, I can scale owning notes excessively better than I can scale buying property. And how is that? Just, I'm the bank. I just don't have to do that much work. I mean, I don't pay, I'm not, you know, when the toilet overflows, they don't call me, right? And, you know, and once again, the whole training business that I have, Note School, is built on how to make good decisions, Is every note a good note? No. Is every real estate deal a good deal? No. So, I mean, it's a matter of learning the right deals, but I can teach somebody to understand that they can utilize all the benefits of real estate, right? And look, we're in a debatable subject right now, right? Where's real estate values going? Well, if you ask National Association of Realtors, National Home Builder Association, CoreLogic, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, they all 100% agree that real estate is going to drop in value, right? I have clients, big clients, guys that have eight-digit net worth in their equity in rental houses, that right now they're moving from rentals and owner financing them because they can sell them and get 15 or 20% down. Now, all of a sudden, they have the mortgage on the property, but not the risk in it going up or down in value. And plus, somebody's now paid them 20% of that price up front. And you're saying, well, that's not realistic. Yes, it is. In fact, right now, today, 
35% of the people that could get a mortgage in February can't get a mortgage today. So we have a gigantic gap in financing, even though real estate at the moment seems like it's really hot and really good, right? But what part of real estate isn't selling? Well, National Association of Realtors came out with a statistic last month that 31% of all closings were what they call fractured closings. You know what a fractured closing is? It's a deal that's under contract and didn't close. So some people would look at that as, well, those are not good things in the market. I look at that and say, oh, that's a terrific opportunity. So a lot of the things that I see happening in, the, in our next, you know, our runway ahead of us, right, the next 18 months, the next two years, a lot of those things are going to be how, what lens are you looking through your business through, right? You know, what do they say about black swan markets? That that produces a transfer in wealth. Well, the reason that's a transfer in wealth is because somebody was making a smart decision and somebody else is stuck in a bad decision, right? So I see that all those things as possibilities. And yes, you can go buy notes and we have a certain, you know, audience that comes from a note school, particularly in your neck of the woods. You know, I told you before the podcast started that I have more students in the Bay Area in California than I do in the whole state of Ohio. That's a true story. I have students that are crushing it and do note stuff with us because they like being the bank. You're in a very high income area, right? So people gain wealth. They have money. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, how do I keep my money? How do I keep my wealth? And what can I do to invest? Is buying notes riskier than buying a property? Should be safer. I think it's safer. First of all, you know, if you buy a property, you have 100% of the cost of the property in the investment. If you buy a note, you may only have 60% of the value of the property in that what you paid for the note, maybe 70, right? But you have way less invested in that note than what the collateral is worth, right? And it has to do with timing in the market, right? You kind of couldn't make a mistake in 2013. Real estate was on sale. All you just had to do is be aggressive and go buy. Even if you overpaid, the market was going to catch up and pass you, right? That's not true right now. So there's a lot of people that are sort of shifting their mindset and saying, and listen, I'm not poo-pooing buying property. I train real estate investors every day of the week. I mean, so don't misread anything that I'm saying other than it's an awareness. It becomes an awareness in the market and how you react to it. But no, I have had a terrific life experience of working with people in the Bay Area, you know, and being able to add notes to their business in a number of different kind of pockets. So one thing that you mentioned in the beginning was that it's easily scalable. And is it just because you don't really have more operational complexity with larger notes? I mean, at the end of the day, it's just a dollar value. You just put in more money and you get the same return, but scaled. So let's just say that you buy a note. It has a good pay history. They're paying every month. The loan is with a servicer. Okay. So you buy it and, you know, ABC servicer is service FCI in California, right? My long friend, Mike Griffith. Okay. They're servicing the loan and I sell it to you, now all of a sudden you just transfer the servicing and FCI is collecting the loan for you. You've got a due diligence file, what we refer to as a collateral file, but the servicer is making sure the taxes and insurance are paid. There's not much else to do. Here's my automatic draft, wire the money, right? You're saying, oh, we can't be that simple. Well, okay. I mean, if a loan becomes a problem and so every one out of so many loans, something does happen, it, it's possible. But then, you know, like you were talking about, why would somebody in California buy a loan? They buy a loan because you don't have to be anywhere near where the collateral is. All my friends 
that are my students that live in the Bay Area in California. They don't own deals in San Jose. They don't own notes in, you know, Concord. They own notes in Columbus, Ohio, right? They got a third-party service and they get a check. Think about where do you make your car payment or your mortgage payment? Is it in your zip code? No, probably not. Exactly. doesn't matter. So that's an idea. That's a, that's a way that it, you can see, like, if you don't need to be next to it, there would be no point in you ever driving by it. You can now say that becomes scalable. Mm, that makes sense. So how does one go about buying notes in the first place? Well, we own a platform. We own a platform that sells notes, notesdirect.com. Sell 1,000 notes a year off of it. What we've learned to do is this. We train people certain foundational principles so that it becomes a lot easier for them to kind of follow the checklist of what they need to know to, to do it. In other words, what ingredients make it a safe investment? So that's buying notes. And, you know, we'll talk about other dimensions. So let me give you a real simple, like this is a kind of cradle to grave concept in buying notes. So I'm an old guy. You're a young guy, right? So I might use a Roth IRA account. You might use a health savings account. You might use a Coverdell educational account, right? They're both tax advantaged. One of them would fit a younger person better. One of them would fit an older person better, right? So we have a note, that very note that you and I just described. It's 100,000, 6% interest, 20 years paid back. Just do a little a line, you know, that represents like a 20-year timeline and put 240 hash marks because that represents a monthly payment. So you're, you buy the note, you pay 80 grand for the note, okay? Your retirement account buys it. So then all of a sudden you're like, wow, I got 80000 sunk into this deal. Man, I sure would like to recapitalize so I could go find another investment. I don't need the income right now, but I sure could make it grow. So you turn around and sell 10 years of those payments, just 10 years for 79000 Now you have $1,000 invested and you own the back 10 years of that note. That's note investing. I see. So you're getting a spread and someone is willing to buy those first 10 years of your note for 79000 And I've done well over 20,000 transactions like that. Interesting. And again, you're saying mostly it's done through your platform. And are those like limited to your students who can go on it or anyone can go on it? No, I mean, I'm just saying we built a platform for efficiency so that our success in selling notes are people that come spend some time at note school, Right. Somebody's to be just perfectly honest with you, people, everybody thinks, oh, I don't need all that. I'm just going to go do it myself. Well, I can just tell you statistically, that's not a very proven fact, right? So that doesn't mean that they have to go get a doctorate degree on the subject, right? But it just means they go down the road a little bit so they get a little more comfortable with it and they understand kind of, you know, I mean, like the six characteristics that influence the value of the note, you know, and like, you know, and all right, what is that roadmap and how does that, and, and like, how would I rate each one of those characteristics relative to that particular note transaction? You see what I'm saying? Those are things that I have found that get people comfortable with buying a note. Yeah. And if we go deeper into note school, what is your program like? Is it like a week long program? Is it online courses? Or how's the whole thing work? You used to have live classes, but we've had 13 virtual three day classes now. So we've adjusted quickly. Here's kind of what we do. We start somebody out and, you know, and, and it's just like your audience today. I'm going to give them a little get started kit, right? It'll be a book 
on creative financing, and it will relate to them how to buy property when it seems like it's overpriced. How to buy property without buying it at a discount because of the way you structure the terms, right? And then we'll have a little class, you know, a little online class. So it'll be a scheduled class that we have. And then they'll, so with that book, which is a short read, but a good read. And by the way, that book, which is here, I mean, it's like after the virus. So we've weighed everything into the equation. And then from there, then, you know, they can progress up the ladder. You know, that I know enough. I want to learn some more about this. You know, they just decide what it is. Our best deliverable in that scenario then is a, like a three-day class. And the three-day class, we really take really several variables of notes. So obviously I have eight fingers here, right? And we show how they dovetail. It doesn't seem like they would until we show people and they're like, oh my gosh, I see what you're saying, right? So some people come to note school, about half the people come to note school, they have no interest in ever buying a note. Only reason they'd ever come to note school is learn how to buy properties at a bargain on terms, right? How to buy on terms versus buy with cash, right? And we're good at that. I would say of the top 500 house buyers in the business, 300 of them are note school guys that come to, have come to classes. Not all 500, but better than 50%. And so we're pretty good at that. But then I have the other half, which is, you know, people like in the Bay Area, for example. And honestly they're not so enamored with being a landlord anymore. Most of them have been landlords and uh, most of them have owned properties, a lot of turnkey property for sure. And they're like, yeah, well, I thought the turnkey was going to be great, but the truth of the matter is, you know, I mean, tenant moved out and they had to redo some stuff. And then I got, a, you know, I had an interruption in rent and this and that and stuff. So some people, some percentage find out, wait a minute, this isn't for me. I'm not saying that's everybody should think that. I'm just saying if you're asking me what are in triggers in people's heads when they come to note school, that's one of the triggers. And they come to note school and they're like, oh, I can live here. I can do all of my business virtually, right? I can learn to do notes. I can learn to do leveraging strategies. I can build wealth. I can still make some transactional money up front but I can build long-term wealth. That's my biggest complaint of the whole wholesaling world, right? It's just transactional money. I mean, you've got to have, that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It means that you shouldn't just do that because I don't know anybody that consciously thought, oh, I got into real estate just so I could make transactional money. People say I got into real estate because they want to do what? They want wealth. They want the long-term wealth. With recurring revenue, yeah. Well, that's not wealth, I'll assure you. I know absolutely some of the biggest wholesalers in the country, if not every one of them. And I don't know any of them that's turned, it's turned into wealth, wholesaling. Now, yeah. what their wholesale business may do is present them other opportunities. In other words, what happens when you make an offer on a property trying to buy something at a discount and they go, well, I wouldn't sell it. I wouldn't sell it and have to discount it. That might be a perfect example. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, I can pay you the full amount of your equity, Sean. But in order to do that, you're going to have to take your equity over time. Translated, what's that mean? It means you're going to honor finance it. I didn't quite say it that way, but that's what I said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Now, one of my issues that I've come across is I tried to do the strategy in the past, obviously with no formal training. And you know they would always come back to me and say, why don't I just put the house on the market and then get full market price and then be able to get my cash today instead of having to work with you and then get my cash 10 years down the line. 
I don't know any real estate investor that buys a house from somebody that there isn't some reason they're not listing it with a realtor, right? If you can go sell the same house for the same money on the same time frame, sell it through a realtor, then a house buyer buys it. Why would they do that? That'd be stupid, right? That everybody that ends up selling a house to a real estate investor, somehow traditional real estate brokerage didn't solve the problem. So here's what happens. Of the real prospects where, some, where you're trying to buy a house, right? Of the real prospects where you're trying to buy a house and something's broken so that the real estate brokerage model isn't going to fix it, right? I don't know what about this. Something about it is broken, right? 50% of those people that call you have a money problem and 50% of the people that call you have a real estate problem. You have to sort through the people that have a money problem, which your cash can solve, but you also have to solve through a real estate problem. So people will ask me like, okay, well, what does that mean? You know, I can't imagine somebody just owner financing all of their equity. Well, 25% of the time they do finance all their equity. 25% of the time they have an existing mortgage and we might take it sub two. 50% of the time we'll use a hybrid, right? So we'll do like a, let's just, use nice round numbers, right? House sells for 300 grand, okay? And the seller gets 150,000 and we get a private loan for 150,000. Now the seller has a second, the private lender has the first. So in this case, the seller says, I needed 50% up front, but I was willing to carry financing for you because you could get me 50% up front. So what then what kind of terms might he agree to? Sean, I may do a deal where he didn't get a payment for the first five years because I gave him 150000 You see what I'm saying? I might do a deal that's, you know, he says, well, I want a certain interest rate. Okay, well, I don't want to pay any interest. Okay, let's split the difference. I'll tell you what, I'll pay you zero interest for 10 years and I'll pay your rate for 10 years. You see what I'm saying? By the way, this book prompts these kind of ideas. But I don't know how to make a creative offer until I know the story of the customer. So you might say, well, if I was getting somebody to owner finance me a property, how would I ask them how much down payment I'd have to make? Well, don't ask it that way. What do you mean? Would you ask something like, how much do you need to blah, blah, blah? What are your immediate cash needs? Mm -hmm. You see the difference? That's a way different answer. Like I'm trying to structure my financing to fit their story, not one generic way of making a financing offer fitting every story of every customer. Gotcha. Yeah. So you have to talk to them, build rapport and find out what their needs are so you can create that perfect package for them that they would accept. You know, I call them puzzle pieces, you know, just in my mind, that's what I can kind of see. So I have puzzle pieces and some of those puzzle pieces are interchangeable. So sometimes I'll, you know, if they're willing to carry all the terms, I mean, trust me, I can think of something ridiculous. I'm not going to overpay for a piece of property because I'm going to balance my price to how I structure the financing, right? I laugh and say this, but the truth be told, some of my very best students' deals are ones that it on the surface, they paid full retail or in they paid almost more than retail. And you're thinking, well, that can't be a bargain. Oh, yeah, it can. Depends on how you structure it. So if they're paying full price and let's say they're not making payments for 10 years, I guess you're just using the fact that there's inflation over time that makes the dollar value less, so which makes it cheaper over time. 
And during that time, you can rent out the property and make cash flow from it. Think in terms of this. What if you could buy the property and have it resold on a wrap note and you've already collected the money before you were obligated to pay any money out? Yeah, that'd be nice. You see what I'm saying? That's what creative financing can do. That's one way creative financing can be a bargain. So if you do a wrap like that, is it, I guess, your responsibility to make sure that everything still works smoothly? Like, even though you technically sold it, you're still kind of like in the middle of making sure that their old payment gets taken care of and this new person is paying you at the same time. You need to make sure that the first lien is being properly paid for sure. And and you would use a servicer to do that. Oh, I see. So you personally aren't doing that. You kind of like outsource that to another company that handles that kind of transaction. You're not going to do as good a job as a loan servicer is going to do, right? And they've got a license that you don't have and they know laws that you don't know. I mean, so it just makes sense. I mean, some people are going to self-service. You probably have listeners that are big operators, but I'm a pretty big operator. I mean, I got between 1,200 and 1,800 loans on any given day, and I have three or four guys in our executive team that have excessive experience in running loan servicing shops, yet we don't service our own loans. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of overhead, especially if you have to deal with all those loans. And you know, you're focusing on acquiring more deals versus just maintaining what you already have. I mean, it's probably why people hire property management companies instead of doing their own property management for their real estate deals. The theory is, yeah. You know, I mean, there are great property management companies and there's property management companies that people don't think are great, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's no doubt. It's the concept of outsourcing. And when you look at notes, what is a typical return that you're looking for? How good's the note? I have no idea, you know? I mean, so you got to get some scale of how to go grade a note. Right. When you ride by a house, you can say, well, this is an A neighborhood or this is a a C minus neighborhood. Right. You get a sense of how to gauge those variables. Right. This is the kind of person I'm going to rent to in this neighborhood is going to, you know, have social issues or just be honest. They're going to be high maintenance. Right. Something could possibly go wrong in their life that affects my rent. Right. Versus somebody else. You're like, this guy is rock solid, right? He's not going to tear the house up. They're perfect, blah, blah, blah. So once again, you have those senses in real estate, right? Well, I mean, we teach the same thing with notes. You know, I mean, the higher the risk, the higher the yield, right? When I sell a partial, a passive investor to a partial, what happens if the deal goes bad? Is the partial investor going to deal with it? No, he's probably going to let me deal with it, right? So it's passive. He didn't have to do a lot of thinking, Mm-hmm. Are there any rules of thumb when it comes to note investing? First thing I like to teach an investor is how active do you want to be in the business, right? Are you want to be a deal maker or you just want to be like passive, right? What's your risk tolerance? You know, I'm sure it wouldn't shock you after 40 years in this business, some investor goes, so what if I bought notes? What kind of yield can I get? And I'm like, how risky do you feel? They're like, what? I'm like, that's how it works. You know, I mean, a passive investor that buys a front-end partial from us is going to probably get about a 6% yield, and we're not going to give him an 8% yield. Trust me, we don't have to, right? But somebody that wants to come to note school and actually go learn how to do what we all learn how to do, I mean, what's your yield on that $1,000 invested that owns the back 10 years of that note? Put that through your calculator, your bad boy calculator, and you're going to find out, dang, I'm earning 40%. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So 
it's like that the yield is equated to where you want to go be. I mean, like some people work 80 hours a week and they don't have time to go figure this out. Some people are like, no, I want to do it part time, but I'm willing to go spend, you know, six hours a week and go do something that I can make a phenomenal return on my money. Part of it's got to do with what somebody's situation is, right? You're young, you're smart, you're highly trainable, right? You could go take exactly what we know how to do and you could scream with it with not, with not a giant amount of capital to play with, right? Your grandparents may go, hey, we're in a sunset stage. We're not wanting to work that hard anymore, right? We've got a fairly significant amount of capital and we just want to make sure we get our money back. We want to make sure our money's safe. You see what I'm saying? So a lot of it equates to kind of what the seat somebody sits in. Sure. I mean, so I guess if you're want to be passive, a good maybe uh, investment could be around 6% yield. And if you want to be on a more active role, of course, the sky's the limit because you can even be out there creating your own notes with seller financing. Yeah. And of course, the art of creative financing is the art of structuring the financing where it doesn't take all of your capital. You know, a guy asked me yesterday, pretty savvy guy, pretty seasoned real estate investor guy. He said, Eddie, I just don't know. I don't know if I can start down this road because I'm afraid I just, the seed capital, I, I can't commit to it. I said, the seed capital? The seed capital is some passive investor's money. I said, you're not, you don't have to fund this with your business. You can fund it with somebody else's business. And I gave him a couple of examples. And he was like, oh, oh, yeah. You see what I'm saying? So it's a little bit like I, I have a saying, you know, it's your chalk and your chalkboard, you know, kind of. The idea is, I call it being a deal architect, right? The art of the being the deal architect is understanding that you have a passive investor. You need to fall on the sword to make sure they always get their money back. They don't deserve a high risk return. That I don't think, right? I'm more about making sure an investor gets their money back than some investor that shows up and says, well, what about a 12% year return? I'm like, well, you need to go see somebody else because I'm not in that business and making you a passive investor, now, if you want to be a student, I'll teach you how to do it, and then you can go make your own hay, but don't expect me to just go hand you a deal and earn that kind of return, because you honestly, if somebody told you that, Sean, you would have to know something almost would be wrong with it, right? Absolutely. So it just depends on where somebody wants to be. I see a giant shift in the market, quite honestly, and I see that people that have been hard money lenders, they might need to shorten their yardstick a little bit, but I see that a hybrid with seller financing would perfectly allow them to do that. Can you go into that a little bit more? Okay. I think the market's going to go down. Okay. I just do. I mean, I'm really just reporting the news that every expert in the real estate economy world is pretty much predicting. Now you might say, well, that's geographic. Okay. I think the Bay Area is going to go down. I'll be specific. I think Phoenix is going to go down. Okay. Is Akron, Ohio going to go down? I don't know. It hadn't gone up that much. Right. So there may be markets that are less affected one way or another. Do I think we're looking at 2008 situation? I don't want to say that's impossible. I'm not thinking so at all. But I'm saying to you that we have been, there's a theory in real estate, Sean. It's a bigger fool theory. There's a certain cycle the market hits. When you hit that point, when you're buying it, you're looking for a bigger fool than you because it's surpassed 
what every other rule of real estate says it's worth. But you're saying, well, how do I go check out of the market and not play for two years and let and see where the market's going to land? And if it lands and all of a sudden I go back in, right? You and I are making a living in this business every day. I, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm not looking for a two-year a two retreat, right? Right. But if what I'm saying is true, why don't you not lend 75% of the cost or 75% of ARV or 80% of AR? Why don't you not do that? Why don't you go teach your customer how to get the seller to carry a second and you carry the first? Even the second could continue to go over time when your first lien, hard money loan, was paid off. Whereas just because you pay out the hard money lien doesn't mean you'd have to pay out the seller second. You could write in a permanent subordination, subordinated to a first mortgage. And that basically means that you will refinance out of your hard money loan and then you still keep that second. And so those are things that I believe that lenders are going to have to become good at teaching their clients how to do. Yeah. I mean, I work for a hard money lending company, and I don't think we allow seconds, but maybe it's different for seller financing. Some hard money lenders don't do that, right? Yeah. But the truth of the matter is you can still require skin in the game. You can still require they put up a down payment. But you're letting that seller carry a top end of that risk, and you're carrying a bottom end of that risk below there, right? That's always safer for you. It's not my job to go tell your hard money lender boss what their criteria needs to be. I'm not trying. I, I mean, I can't say that. But you also have a lot of hard money lenders, smaller guys that are your in, in this podcast, right? They're your audience. So I'm just trying to say there's ways to do it. That's one of the ways that Note School feels like it can help people. Yeah, it makes sense. And do you prefer to buy notes for the stability of the yield? or Because I know some people, they like to buy notes because they know it's distressed and they plan on just foreclosing on it and getting like a property for a very cheap price. Well, I mean, I bought thousands of non-performing notes. Okay. So we've been predominantly talking about notes that are paying, notes that have a high likelihood of no problem. Then there's the other side of the business, which is buying distressed notes. The timing in buying distress notes right now is not what the timing is going to be in a year, right? Right at the moment, there's not a giant supply of defaulted loans. There are some, but there's not a giant supply because the lenders haven't charged the loans off yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's also the moratorium on foreclosures. So I don't think a lot of people are interested in buying those right now, too, because... It's riskier. What did Warren Buffett say? When things are bad, go in. When people are greedy, be scared. And when they're scared, be greedy. Right? You know, real estate investors are contrarians. They're the opposite of mainstream real estate. A real estate investor says, I'm going to go buy a house from somebody because they're not going to list it and sell it with a realtor. There's something contrarian about that deal that won't let them do that. And I'm going to go do something that the rest of the world doesn't have a vision to go do. So there's degrees of that. But the truth of the matter is, this is what creative financing and real estate investing is. If everybody's looking for the world to be perfect, then just call a realtor and go buy some house listed at retail. That doesn't take a lot of talent, right? So yeah. understand that for us to really go get the juice out of the lemon, we've got to go do something that's different. I have a excessive amount of experience teaching people to buy non-performing notes, right? At the moment, that's a little bit of what I teach. 
next August, that is going to be a giant amount of what I teach. Right. It's probably more opportunity next year once everything is kind of settled down. Yeah. Are there any tax benefits to investing in notes? Because I know that one of the main benefits of investing in just real estate is that you get a lot of tax benefits. Well, I will tell you this. I think that depreciation, I talk to a lot of people that do financial planning, and they're not near as enamored with financial planning as the promoter selling a real piece of real estate, right? So no, there's no depreciation in a note. There's not. But there's a difference between deferred, you know, deferred taxes and erased taxes, right? So depreciation is a two-headed coin. And I have had a lot of experience with people that deal with, you know, helping people do financial planning and tax prep and those things. And I just know that I've got some pretty serious clients that right now are thinking that the depreciation of their real estate can be real depreciation. (laughs) It's not just a tax write-off. Yeah. Now, once again, that's a contrarian position. Somebody in your audience may disagree with me. I fully understand that. I will say that there's a lot of advice on my side. There's a lot of, if you looked at the big money, the big money's betting the way I'm betting. Yeah, I mean, most of the big banks, they don't buy individual real estate pieces. They lend and you know, it's scalable, like you said. And I guess it's easier to underwrite too when, you just, when it's a loan versus an individual like property and having to maintain it and charging rent, et cetera. So anything in terms, like I know like for a property, you can do like 1031s or whatever. Is there anything similar to that for notes? There are some, you know, I, I would just say when I have people that go way down the road with us, like this is one of those conversations that's going to get, there's so many variables to what, how somebody qualifies and what kind of, what size of an asset they have. But there are like kind, there are like kind other than 1031s. There are like kind of exchanges that allow you to take deferment and take income over time with notes. Yes, that is a true statement. And I think what you mentioned before is you actually hold most of these notes in your retirement accounts. And are you doing that again because of the tax benefits? No, most of the notes I own are not in my retirement account. I've done 50,000 note deals. Oh, okay. I mean, I haven't done a thousand in my retirement account, right? So most of the deals I've done in my life and I do today is outside of my retirement account. But pretty much everything I do in my retirement account is a note. Gotcha. And so do you want to tell us about what you are doing now to you know, acquire and maintain your notes or sell them on the platform? You know, I mean, we built an ecosystem. We have students that I have a lot of active investors. Some of the most active real estate investors in the state of California, house buyers are note school guys. Right? I mean, so they buy houses and use creative financing strategies to buy them. All of the things that we were talking about, right? Where the seller of the property is not getting all of their cash up front, but they're carrying part of their equity or all of their equity over time, right? And there's all kind of different ways to structure it. Then I have other students in California and they just want to go buy assets. They want to go buy notes. They Some of them are very seasoned former landlords, they just know that they can own a lot more notes with a lot less headache and a lot more predictable income than their rental properties had, right? So it's like some people want to stay in real estate and use creative financing and note structuring techniques and just fuel their real estate investing business. 
you're not taking away from your wholesaling business because your wholesaling business is all about pay today, pay cash, and then flip it off for more money. So like that's a piece of your business, then don't tear that down. But the other side is, is what's your trash can look like? What deals are in your trash can that with creative financing would be a killer good deal, right? Right. So naturally what we've learned to do in training is, is we just take case study after case study after case study, right? And then really break it down. We go through the components and we say, this is what the guy did. Then we say, well, whoa, 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 what else could you do with it, right? You might have structured it the way it was structured, or you might go do different things. And so we use the premise of the case study to then build out what other options are. In other words, it's just simply, Sean, a field of vision, right? Yeah, just expanding your horizons and being creative to know what to do next. Yeah, you're young, smart. You think about what you know that can technology can do today. And have that conversation with somebody 20 years ago, how could they have possibly know, know then what you know now? You see what I'm saying? So that's what I say that the whole idea of understanding creative financing is just simply going from just a cash at a discount to a field of vision of knowing all these different things. Mm -hmm. You know, I think earlier in the podcast, you also mentioned that sometimes people sell notes at a discount. I was wondering why would people do that? Because they need the money. Why do people sell houses at a discount? I see. Yeah, so same thing. And then the buyer just wants the higher yield and I guess the value is worth more in the future. I mean, there's two ways to look at it. A real, I bought 50,000 notes, right? And you're asking me all the reasons that people sold me a loan at a discount. Well, sometimes it's just a mom and pop and they got a monthly payment coming in and they just need a lump sum of money. Sometimes a real estate investor bought a property and the way he structured it when he bought it even though he created owner financing, if even if he sells the loan to me at a discount, he's still making a very good profit. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's just a market condition. The modern day note school that I'm trying to run is giving you the option to sell a note, but showing you how to structure it in a way that you don't have to sell a note. Seller financing in 2021 will double the seller financing of 2018. Nice. That's because seller financing fills the void when conventional lending doesn't. So we're going to grow a mountain of inventory of seller finance notes, some of which will get sold at a discount. Right in 2018, about 100,000 seller finance transactions were generated nationwide. When you offer seller financing, how do they come up with interest rate? And how do you guys end up with some, like, is there a general rule of thumb for that interest rate as well? When the seller is carrying financing for me, I'm going to totally dictate the terms. They don't have any sense of what the rules are. They have no idea. So how do you come up with one? How do you even guide them to come up with a number that sounds good for them? It's going to be to my advantage. When you buy a piece of property, are you buying it to your advantage or to the seller's advantage? Of course, to your advantage. Okay. Well, that's what I do. And I know how they think. So you're going to say something like, oh, we're going to give some interest on top of this. So you can make more money than you originally would have gotten if you just sold it to me like this. Maybe I do that. Maybe I say, you know, you might want to be like a furniture company. You know, I haven't gone to furniture companies that often. So what do they actually do to you? Well, the furniture company, instead of, the furniture company, instead of selling for cash today, 
The furniture company says, okay, we'll carry the financing for you. Well, in order, you know, to carry the financing for you, then they're going to sell that furniture at full retail, right? So somebody is very aware that, you know, you got the furniture company finances the furniture. Well, that means it's not being discounted. And so they have in their mind, I don't want a discount, right? I have learned that people will make crazy decisions about what they're willing to agree to as long as they think they don't have to discount. Hmm. I laugh and say when they're too cheap to pay a real estate commission, they're just perfect for me. Awesome. So in the past four years of being in the business, what kind of challenges have you encountered and how did you overcome them? Well, you know, there's been times and cycles that, you know, I made bad decisions. I mean, I've I've been hurt financially a lot when black swan things come along, right? I'm trying to be a lot smarter about that than I used to be. I'm looking at the market. This market has so many bells and whistles and warning signs. I say if somebody is oblivious to it, you are absolutely sleeping with your head, your covers over your head, right? Because, I mean, you know, like, it's there. Am I trying to be a pessimist? No, I'm trying to be a realist, right? I see the opportunities in the next five years as good as I've ever seen since I've been doing this. But it probably isn't going to be exactly the way you've done it in the past, right? I mean, listen, I started in the business when interest rates were 20%. Don't you wish you could get 20% on note today? No, that was the interest rates at the banks. I know. You know, and then six years after that, in 1986, the financial markets blew up in Texas, and it was called the Southwest Banking Debacle. Biggest real estate depression in this part of the world since the Great Depression, right? Up till that date. And then the financing market fell apart in 1998, right? And all of a sudden, seller financing came to rescue again. And then there was 9-11. And then there was 2008, right? So I have lived through a lot of these markets. I've seen institutional money dry up to nothing. When people were running with money in both hands, and six months later, there's no money, right? But listen, this has kind of happened now, and people don't even realize it, right? 35% of the people that get a mortgage in February can't get a mortgage today. How come that's not on CNN? It's true. I'm not making it up. Yep, it's true. Even for the hard money side, it was so easy to get a loan. We were doing 90% LTV and 100% financing, even doing it on new construction projects. No problem. But, you know, once shelter in place hit in mid-March, suddenly we dropped all of our rates down to 65% LTV for like 10% in two points. That's why you have to have creative financing strategies. Yep. I mean, if you don't have creative financing strategies, you're going to just be reliant on what institutional money decides. And I'm telling you, that's like, here's the idea. If the realtors are running and gunning and doing great, isn't that really competition for the guy that's trying to be the house, the real estate investor? Because there's a supply and everybody's going to get their piece, right? If the markets come apart, which... Every sign out there says is in that process. I get that we're in what they call a dead cat bounce right now. I got that, right? Anybody can be a genius in real estate this week, right? I'll tell you what my company mandate is. In the next 60 days, we don't have a single problem asset. We're selling every problem asset we got. We will not have one. The bulls are out, as they say, right? Yep. So... If that's the case, Sean, entering the next market cycle, 
somebody like you comes along and you're like, hey, dude, this structure and this stuff Eddie Speed's talking about, I can wrap my teeth around this. All of a sudden, you got an advantage that the realtors don't have. you got an advantage that most real estate investors don't have because the truth of the matter is they're not willing to go learn something new. And then you got, you can position yourself in the market. And that's how I see it. Like transfer of wealth. Yeah. Are we going to see it? Yeah. Is it going to be a big opportunity? Yeah. And it doesn't have to be houses. I mean, the only market that I've ever seen in the past that I didn't make as much profit on other asset classes, commercial and land and multifamily and all those other. The only market I haven't seen where that wasn't a factor was in the last market, which was two, market Black Swan, which is 2008. And it is a residential thing. I know other real estate went down some, but nothing more related than residential property. This one is going to be the opposite. Yes, residential is going to take it on the chin. Sean, there is six million problem loans on residential houses today. Six million. That doesn't include all the people that haven't gotten their rent. These are just people in forbearance and just people that have a loan that is currently delinquent, 90 days plus delinquent. Just those two numbers is six million loans. That number is probably going to go up. You know, we have 90 day loans right now like not in forbearance, not the ones that the mortgage companies are saying, the signing agreement and saying, no, you don't have to pay. Not those. We have 2 million loans right now that are 90 plus days delinquent. You know, the last time we had 2 million 90 plus day delinquent loans, 2009. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it's a great time for a new investor to come in and learn as much as they can, get more tools in their toolkit, learn from you guys and learn how to be more creative with their financing so that when the opportunity arises, maybe next year, maybe the year after that, they'll be good to go. I got people killing it right now because what they figured out is, is they can buy properties using creative financing strategies and they can sell them to people that otherwise would have gotten a traditional mortgage. You got to remember those 35% of the people that could get a mortgage in February and can't get one today, that doesn't mean that all of them lost their desire to buy a property. So the pool of people that can buy a property from you is excessively bigger than it used to be. You see what I'm saying? In other words, the barrel holds so much water, right? Well, guess what? Now we've got the water in two barrels. It's the same amount of water that would have went into one. Now we have the smaller amount of water in the mortgage origination barrel. Somebody gets a traditional mortgage. Now we've got seller financing and creative financing over here. And now there's a lot more water in that barrel meaning just people, meaning just, you know, percentage of the market, because it's an alternative. So it's not a, oh my God, this is going to be great in the future, but there's no opportunity now. That's definitely, that is definitely not the case. Awesome. Well, Eddie, thank you so much for sharing everything that you know about notes with us today. Do you have any last tips for our listeners before we end our show? Creativity is basically like a cup. The water you pour in, it'll take on the shape of the cup. I like that. Nice. So, have a nicer cup? No, I'm just saying your creativity can be moved and adjusted depending on the market situation. People don't focus on creative financing a lot until they have to, right? And they usually make the best deals when you're able to be creative with the seller. That's been my experience. All right, Eddie. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. How can people get in contact with you? So, I built a special thing for your listeners. It's very simple. They're going to go to noteschool.com. 
forward slash get started. And then we've got a little ebook that we've just finished. It's not a long read. It's about 50 pages, but it's solid. I mean, it's good, solid stuff. And then we'll put them through a little training. You know, we'll show them like we've learned people learn the best by case studies. So we love those ideas and we do case studies and uh, give them examples and how it works. In fact, I, I can tell you that we'll have case studies of deals that are actually in California. So we'll do that. They'll get a sense of what it's like. And then if they want to progress with note school in some way, it's fine. And then they're just like, hey, that was awesome. And that's all they need. Then they can figure that out. Perfect. Eddie, I think a lot of my listeners will greatly enjoy learning more because, again, I think it's very important to have those different tools to be able to pull out whenever you have different situations. So thank you again for providing this resource to them. Thank you for having me. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please consider subscribing to the show and leaving a review to get updated when the latest episode comes out. A brief summary of this podcast can be found in the show notes at everythingrei.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you in the next one. Take care. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second, and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.